With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. All right, ready and let's go. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Inside Try Show, the weekly podcast with me, Helen Murray, bringing you the best interviews from triathlon and beyond. This week's show is powered by 33fuel.com the team behind the Runner's World Health Product of the Year, Ultimate Daily Greens. They also do, by the way, incredible chia energy gels and the most amazingly delicious energy bars and protein bars, which taste and look so much better than your typical sports bar. And that is because 33 Fuel are big on natural ingredients, which means no junk and certainly no chemical taste. So you can get your hands on six protein bars, their premium protein and their ultimate daily greens as part of their special lockdown bundle. If you use the code InsideTry33, you'll get a discount at checkout. And remember that supporting the people who support me really does make a huge difference. Anyway, how are you doing? Does it feel a bit of a case of Groundhog Day with you? I would love to know what are you doing to keep things interesting or or maybe break things up a little bit. I think I've already bored you to death with 6.45 lockdown yoga club, but that for me, makes a big difference between the weekday and the weekend. Um, We've now done 50 days. Amazing. I even held the crow pose for all of three seconds the other day. So that is progress, I'm telling you. And I just love our friendly little group. And then swimming. Yes, I think I told you last week that I was, I had been swimming. So having not been for, I don't know, was it eight weeks, 10 weeks? No idea. I've lost count. I then I'm now going three times in eight days. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) And it's just amazing to be back in the water. So I think that's a bit of a win. But I honestly, I swear, their slots are like online supermarket slots. If you blink, you've missed it. They're like 
gold dust. And I, I really haven't been using my, um, what are they called? Stretch cords. Nah, nah, I've just been doing lots of yoga. <laughs> now, I'm actually recording this on a Saturday afternoon, believe it or not. I never do that. Usually it's a Monday. Monday is my podcast day. But I've just been working like a complete madwoman recently with this and then with my work as well as a cancer rehab instructor with Move Charity. And this Monday coming in the UK is a bank holiday. And you know what? I'm actually going to treat myself to a day off. So I thought if I do this on Saturday, then I've done it and I don't necessarily need to worry about it on Monday before the madness of move kicks in. I don't know really what we're going to go and do. Maybe a little walk, um, maybe just enjoying the sunshine, but whatever. I very much intend to keep screen time to a minimum. Are you, are you zoomed out? Like we've been doing a a quiz with friends every Friday evening, but this week I was like, I just don't want to do it. I, I, I love my friends. But I want a bit of a break from Zoom and from some of that screen time. So, yeah, Ooh, we'll see what happens. Anyway, before we get on to this week's interview, I just want to say as well, once again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I've been doing it now for six months. I love it. Genuinely, absolutely love it. And it seems to be going in the right direction, which is always a bonus, isn't it? It's heading towards 45,000 downloads, which I'm really chuffed with. But I think I've said already and I'm going to say it again and I'm sorry if I bore you, but honestly, that just would not be possible without you listening and without as well your support. So thank you so much. And an even bigger Thank you to my patrons who support the show with a monthly donation and it just helps to make it possible to actually do this. I would love you to join them if you haven't already. It means a huge amount to me. So if you head over to patreon.com forward slash inside try show and you can sign up there. Time for this week's interview. Right. Let me introduce you to this week's guest. Rudy Von Berg, who finished third at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships last year. He's also been European 70.3 champion. He's on board with Trek Bikes. But it's almost like this guy's been destined to win the Ironman World Championships since he was a young boy. Why? Well, his dad, also Rudy, or Rudolf Von Berg, he's like a legend of the sport and he's been doing it since the 80s and he's still smashing out age group wins in his 60. So Rudy Von Berg Jr. has pretty much been dreaming of winning the iconic race in Kona since he first stepped on the Big Island as a five-year-old to watch his dad compete. In the last couple of years, under coach Luke Van Leerd, Rudy Von Berg has shown he means business. And you're going to hear some fascinating stuff about confidence, belief and mental strength as well. But the wait to do a full Ironman continues. So Rudy, was it inevitable that you were going to be a professional triathlete? Um, I'd say yes, probably. Um, my dad was doing triathlon and he brought us to, to, to the Hawaii Ironman World Championships uh, multiple times when I was younger. First time in 
1998 when I was five years old, and then uh, again in 2002, 2006. So I think uh, going to like this this major race when you're young with your your dad and just seeing all these professional athletes looking super cool, you definitely and doing something pretty amazing. You definitely think you want to do that when you'll be bigger. So that's really what happened. I've been doing the three sports for pretty much my whole life. And uh, I've always been the type to be okay to be doing stuff alone. So an endurance sport like that, going on long rides alone, I love it. And um, yeah, I've been following the path ever since. And uh, moved to college to do uh, for, for triathlon mostly, just because Boulder was a really nice town. And now it's been uh, maybe, what, six years of uh, professional racing. What do you remember that first time from Kona when you were five years old? Uh, I, just, you know, just the overall, just seeing these super fit athletes that looked like beasts, you know, just, you know, you're, you're young, you're, you're small, weak, and you just think, you know, when I'll be big, a big, strong man, I want to do that and look like this, you know. <laughs> That's that's the idea when you're young. So and then obviously seeing your dad doing it is kind of the same idea. So that that was it pretty much. I don't remember anything really specific. You know, five years old is a little hard to remember, but yeah, just seeing that. And then you know the typical like just seeing the really cool bikes and uh, how light and fast they look. <laughs> so just saw all these things. And when you did go back, what three more times? Did did you get that sense of excitement growing each time as you got a little bit older and understood it a bit more? Yeah, I'd say more when I was, uh, when I went back when I was maybe uh, 16 and then 19. Um, when I was 19, I was already now, I moved to Boulder for college. But those are the years when now I was already starting to be competitive in triathlon and when I actually started to really, you know, see it kind of come closer, you know, that's when, uh, when the, the years I really remember better and, uh, that started to inspire me even more to, to come back, uh, soon. I mean, I haven't done my first Ironman, but it's coming up. I'm uh, 26. I'll be 27 next, uh, in October. So, uh, I didn't want to start Ironman distance too early, but I, I will start soon. Maybe next year, do my first Ironman. We can, talk a little bit more uh, about that after so when you were then a you know soon as pretty much you were five six years old am I right in saying that your dad made well basically took you to the pool and got you swimming because he didn't swim until he was what 27 yeah yeah um I'm not sure where you heard that story but um yeah he was uh he started traveling yeah when he was 27 he was having a successful business career and he was working in New York City and then he went, he was walking just one day on the street and saw this big sign, you know, big apple triathlon. And pretty much that's the start of it. A few months later, he quit his job and went full into triathlon in the eighties, you know, when it wasn't really a big sport. And, uh, he just always had the, a passion for, you know, endurance sport or sports in general and, uh, and doing crazy things like that. So yeah, he just went full into triathlon, was kind of living race to race and, uh, yeah, and was just happy doing that. But it was a pretty crazy thing to do at the time because he had a, a good career going on. Did you, when you were, say, nineteen, twenty, did you always think, yep, I do want to be a professional triathlete? Or was there a bit of you that thought, 
I don't want to follow that same path as my dad. There's going to be all these comparisons, all these expectations. I want to do my own thing. Yeah, well, for me, it wasn't too bad because my dad, it wasn't, it's not like he was like Dave Scott, you know? So I think for, because I knew uh, Drew Scott, uh, Dave's son, uh, pretty well. And for him, I feel like that would be, you know, much more difficult because his dad, you know, obviously is one of the legends of the sport. Everyone will always talk about him as soon as Drew is there in a race or in a, in a, any talk or any uh, media. So, you know, it would be a little redundant for him. For me, we obviously, we talk about my dad a lot, but thankfully, I guess for me, uh, <laughs> you know, he's not five-time Kona or six times, you know, world champion. So uh, he, he's just the right amount that he's been in the sport, that he understands everything I do. And, you know, we can talk. He always asks me about my training and, you know, he knows all the, the numbers and what they mean. So that's pretty cool. But he's not, you know too much of a legend that it's gonna it would get annoying to only talking about him rather than uh you know kind of being more of an individual in the sport did he coach you when you were younger at all or did he always leave you to it um no he never he never really coached me I always kind of had outside coaches or at some points I was just self-coached you know just kind of doing what I wanted to do (laughs) and um yeah, I don't think with the with some parents it can work really well, but I don't think with the, my dad it would work perfectly to have a coach. Um, yeah, he's just I don't know. It just wouldn't work really well for us. I think to for me to work with my dad, you know, and um, so yeah, I've just always been with uh, outside coaches, and uh, now I'm in with uh, Luke Van Leer starting my third year, and uh, it's been working pretty well. Do you think that? Like you just prefer to have the father-son relationship rather than the, you know, coach-athlete kind of thing. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like sometimes I felt like my dad was a little too much, you know, business-like with me. So if he was to become my coach, it would have been way even more over the top and I wouldn't like that relationship. So I try to push it with my dad to be more of a father-son relationship rather than a, a too much of a business relationship. And since he's always obviously wanted to the best for me, you know, he always saw things more from a business side. And so that's why to be a coach on top of that would have been a little too much, I think. And what's it like? Because your, your brother and your sister and your dad, like, they all compete as well. And what is it like when you're at a race and all of you are in it, like at the World Championships, for example? Yeah, that, that was a little too much energy going on. <laughs> before really? the and, uh, I, I wouldn't uh, fully recommend or do it again. But um, no, it's well, just for the right, the pre-race, you know, right before it's easier, you know, to just relax and be kind of just with a friend or something or, you know, just with someone not racing. We were, I was in the hotel room with my brother who was racing and then my dad was with my mom in another room. And then my sister was in a third room with her boyfriend and one of my friends who was also racing professional. So, you know, it was only my mom wasn't racing. And then so my sister, brother, me and her boyfriend and my sister's boyfriend were racing. So it was four of us racing for one non-racer. And, you know, it's just like we're all a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, I know. It must have been tough for her. 
but then for us, you know, it's just, you know, a little too much, uh, people just focusing on what they need to do. And it's just a little harder, just a little too much energy kind of going on around the race. So I, I wouldn't fully recommend that, even though it's always fun, you know, to have everyone uh, be able to, to talk about it and share the experience after the race. Um, yeah. So in a way, nicer to have them there supporting you, but not necessarily competing as well, because there's just, I can imagine, like everyone gets, you know, that pre-race nerves and things like that. And if you've got five or six people all together, oh my God. <laughs> right. And just for example, if you go get dinner the night before the race, you know, six people will just take much longer and, you know, it's no time to be social. You just want to go quick, eat quickly and relax, you know. So just for things like that, yeah. yeah. When you were there in um, in Nice for the seventy point three World Championships, obviously you had done a lot of cycling on and around that course when you were younger, so you knew it really, really well. And I think pre-race, you said if you had if you had the perfect race, you would finish on the podium. Did you have the perfect race? Uh, no, it's, you can never say it was a perfect race. Um, it was not perfect, but, uh, most of it went pretty much exactly how I wanted it to. So for, for that day, it was close to perfect. Um, I mean, I was in the front group on the swim at the start of the bike. It was pretty easy. And then when we hit the hills you know, I really had to get it going. And then my plan was to yeah be up there at the top of the hill, you know, in the top five, let's say. And then kind of drop everyone on the downhill and then come in with a, a gap, hopefully, on second. Unfortunately, that wasn't ex- that didn't exactly happen. I was with two other guys. And th- and uh, for thankfully for them, they were able to kind of follow my line on the downhills. And that helped them, I think, quite a bit. If they weren't right behind me, they maybe would have lost, you know, a couple minutes. So that was... That if it was perfect, I would have been, you know, first in T2 with a couple minutes. That would have been great. But, yeah, unfortunately, they were with me. But still, we had a big gap on everyone else. So that was pretty perfect to be only three of us. You know, if there was a fourth with a fourth guy with us and let's say, you know, he was a great runner and I would have finished fourth, that would, that would have been pretty annoying. So, yeah, I ended up being, you know, pretty good. I didn't have my best run legs that day. I mean, I had good run legs. You know, I, I did a solid time close to my best but you know on a world championship you're hoping to you know be your best and uh and, which I did a few months later you know I ran almost two minutes quicker in Buenos Aires at the South American championship um unfortunately yeah two months early I didn't have it but uh yeah it was still pretty close to perfect uh, a couple of things could have been a little different and maybe I could have been uh, I don't think I could have won but yeah, I mean, super stoked on the podium after finishing a uh, tenth the year before. What do you reckon it was that then helped you go from tenth to then finishing third and, and getting on that podium? What had made the difference in that year? Um, yeah, the period I remember before the race, I was just, I was well, also I was a little injured the year before, so I had a little injury on in my foot, which uh, hindered my running. Uh, I ran a one fourteen in South Africa. But also South Africa, just, I remember being on the start line and not feeling super confident. You know, I was just more scared than excited. And, uh, scared of what? 
well, just scared of, uh, well, because I had an injury, so I wasn't fully confident in myself. And, uh, you know, just, you know, like a little scared of uh, being crushed, I guess, or just not, not being up there, you know. You, you know, just not having that full confidence. And I think I've really uh, developed that in the year after. And when I had it before that race, too, in South Africa, for other races, but for some reason in that race, all the best guys were there. And I, I just remember and partly because of the injury, not feeling the most confident, which was completely different in Nice. Uh, nice, I had a, a perfect lead up to the race. Um, I knew that the course suited me much better, and uh, I had also other big victories, um, like uh, the European Championship beating Javier Gomez. And so, yeah, the, the confidence was much higher. My shape was better. It was at home. So, you know, all these uh, elements came together and uh, that's that's what gave me a podium finish. And I think I'm definitely going to carry on that confidence and even better shape for future years. Interesting thing about confidence. Do you think that confidence comes with experience? Did, would Luke have talked to you about that confidence and, you know, not feeling it in South Africa? And then has he helped you to, to develop that confidence? No, no, not really. Um, confidence for me is really a, an intrinsic thing, you know, something I work with myself. And it's something that I developed just through um, racing, really, and uh, just a lot of mental work for everything, you know. Every day there's little things where you can work on your, your mental strength, you know. Like as soon as, let's say, I, I'm, I feel like a need in myself, you know, I'm like, okay, you, you can wait 10 more minutes and you'll do it in 10 minutes. Or I'm hungry right now. <laughs> I want to go get this thing. I'm like, okay, you shut up now and you go, you'll do it in 20 minutes. <laughs> or just, you know, tiny things like that. But just they add up and you just kind of build a mental strength. And obviously in training too, um, you know, never complain or always just uh, kind of a poker face, you know, always just contain yourself. And yeah, if you work on that a lot throughout, you know, the year, you kind of build a mental strength and uh, that you can use for racing. And that kind of links to the confidence too. So, yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Rudy, it's fascinating. It's really interesting that, that you know, your kind of concept and, and how you work on on your confidence. And that's not with a sports psychologist or anything, is it? That's all from, from you. That's from me, yeah. 
And has that been since you were, like, have you realised about the importance of confidence more over the past, say, two, three years? Or have you always known about the, the need for, for a bit of confidence in order to succeed and be the best athlete that you can be? Yeah, it's some, no, it's something that I've been focusing much more on, as you say, kind of more the last two, three years. I feel like when you get closer to the the winning winning races, you kind of start believing in the mental aspect even more. Because, you know, f- from being, you know, maybe fifth to first, I feel like is a big difference. And a lot of it comes with mentality. Obviously, a lot of it is just your your physical shape. But your mentality and your mental aspect before entering a race are super important. You know, visualization of you being, you know, leading the race versus you thinking, oh, maybe ah, it's going to be hard to follow this guy. Like I've done races, for example, where let's say collegiate nationals in 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I won 2014, 2015. So I was coming back in 2015 as a returning winner. And on the run, one of these guys I knew well, was a great runner, called me after 5K. And, you know, he, he called me already more than a minute in 5Ks. So normally there was no way I could hold with him in f- for five more Ks. And he kept on the same pace. And so, but I was returning champion, you know, and in my head I was like, there is no way I'm losing this race and I have to win. Like second is worth nothing if I won last year, you know. And so I just stuck with him and, you know, it was just all in the head, like, I ran my fastest 10K ever, and I just, you know, never let it go. I was only thinking about one thing, just I have to win this. I just can't lose. And then, yeah, with 400 meters to go, I, like, surged super hard and won the race. And so I realized with races like that, smaller level races, but where I still had to really give my best to win, that if you really think you're the best here and you have to win, that your body will end up delivering. And so I was thinking that should should be able to happen in the bigger races too. But it's hard to actually believe that when you're racing Gomez, Fredino, and Brownlee, right? <laughs> so that <laughs> there's a whole work that has to go on in your head. Yeah. And so going into 70.3 uh, Worlds in Nice, for example, and the 70.3 World Championships, when you would have come up against Gomez, do you go into that race? almost thinking back to when to 2015 going right I know I've got the mental strength to beat them it doesn't matter that they're called Brownlee or Gomez or Fredino right and especially for this race in Nice I mean it's it I know this course you know I I know I have the watts on the bike it wasn't all about the downhill you know I was already really close to the top uh, at the top of the hill and uh yeah I'm beating Gomez in the previous race you know you you can't lack confidence after that even though there are other guys like Brownlee. And so, yeah, I mean, I just went for it. You just got to have to focus on your own performance, give your best performance on, on the, the D-Day and uh, kind of forget you're going against the Olympic champion. And yeah. Does some of that competitiveness and confidence, would some of that have come from your dad or would it have come from growing up with, in a very, very sporty family, like with your brother and sister? Yeah, I think I just always was always a competitive person. Um, I, I don't think it really came from my dad, the the confidence uh, for, for specific racing. I think that's just something I developed uh, in the last, last uh, let's say, five, six years, you know, since I moved to Boulder. And uh, because I remember when I was younger, I wasn't the most confident in racing. 
or even in life, I guess. I was more of a, a shy person, introvert. And I mean, I'm still an introvert, but, you know, you, you kind of just get a little out of it when you're a little older. And so, yeah, I think the, the biggest part is I developed uh, my mental game and confidence uh, more when I yeah, moved to college and was more alone and on, on a different continent. And has triathlon helped you or how has it helped you to be more confident as a person? Um, so maybe less less of an introvert. I mean, you can still be introvert, can't you? But you know what I mean. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, you you... As a professional athlete, you kind of have to kind of develop your confidence and because, uh, I mean, you're going to have to do speeches at the end of the races or you're going to have to do even podcasts or, you know, just media stuff. You're, you're going to be videoed. You're going to have to talk on camera or in front of people. So that's something that I, I remember I was pretty scared uh, to talk in public, you know, in front of a class or, you know, I was just a little anxious about it. I mean, like a lot of people, obviously, but. Yeah, I just didn't like it. But I always told myself, it's, I'm going to have to work on it and become better at it because, you know, it's just part of the job for triathlon. So you can't just be doing your training and not talk to anyone and, you know, be racing. That's just non-marketable or no one's going <laughs> to care much. And also, you know, we're just, we're here, we're living, we're all going to die. Who cares? Like, there's no time in this life to just be scared all the time. You have to, you know, get out of your shell and do your thing and, not be worried about what people think or say so so yeah that's just what I've been trying to kind of go off of and uh, develop myself for and yeah as as you say triathlon was the the main vector of that for me wise words Rudy wise words for a young (laughs) for a young head (laughs) honestly I really like those and would you say that uh wildflower or something like that would you say that was maybe breakthrough race or do you think more 2019 really was the breakthrough season when you were like yep Rudy von Berg is here yeah I mean but 2018 was the first breakthrough year 2018 and 2019 were the the two big years because so wildflower yes that was the first race um first bigger win I guess and then um then I won European champs that year in 2018 and then I won uh, the Nice test event. And then I won also the South American championship. So that was four wins. So that was definitely a breakthrough year. But then in 2019, some people were scared. They were like, oh, he's going to be so motivated. He's going to train the house down, get injured. And 2019 is not going to be good. But I have a good coach and I don't think I'm very dumb for to do errors like that. So I, I, I kept on the same trajectory in my coach, you know, little by little, consistent training, increase a little bit, not too much. And 2019, you know, was even next level. Um, I actually didn't – I had only three wins, I think, in 2019, but they were all championship wins. And the podium at Worlds is, you know, is the, the biggest highlight too. Um, again, and I won, yeah, North American Championships, European Championship, and South American Championship. So some people think I'm, I'm – by default of winning worlds i try to win every continent <laughs> but yeah so i mean now unfortunately i was on a good uh trajectory 2020 is not happening for now but uh i'm keep i'm training i'm so motivated i'm uh, putting in trying to work on some weaknesses and um hopefully racing will resume how frustrating has that been for you knowing that you were in 
you know, you were in such good form and you came off the back of such a good season. I bet you were so pumped and hyped and motivated and like really eager to just carry on up. So what have the past couple of months been like? Yeah, but the, the essence of it doesn't really change for me. You know, I'm not a motivation person. I'm more of a long-term goal, long-term driven. So, you know, to not have a, a few races for a few months uh, doesn't change that much. I'm still, you know, seeing the exact same thing in the future. So, um, yeah, so that that didn't matter too much, I guess. Yeah, I mean... If, if 2020 doesn't happen, that would be a pretty big bummer because, you know, I'm starting to get closer to my prime. Well, I don't think actually I'm, I am, but I can have race wins every year. So it's a bummer if I can't race for a whole year, um, you know, on top of the financial aspect, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, second part of the year, hope it will go on and uh, finish in Daytona, the PTO championship. I was going to touch on both the PTO and the uh, financial side of things at the moment. What's it been like for you as as an athlete um, with sponsors over, you know, over the last couple of months going forwards? What's your financial situation now? Uh, yeah, so, well, so I had one specific sponsor that was a new sponsor for this year. They were doing uh, training camps in France throughout the year. So I'm not going to get paid at all for that one, that sponsor, for example, because I mean, they're just, it's not happening. You know, they're not having training camps at all. So that's one example. Another example is they said um, they needed to put my payment on hold for a few months because it's just, they're just low on cash, but they said hundred percent, they will pay me everything that's due. And then, so that's two examples. Then all the others for now have been paying normal. So overall, it's fine. I mean, I'm not like, but since with my race wins, I was pretty high percentage uh, still on prize money. So that is a big loss for me. But um, the PTO has helped a lot. And thanks to my ranking in the in the PTO, you know, top 100 ranking, I got a fair amount of money um, to kind of help with the, the loss of prize money. Can you just explain for people that might not know, how was that all worked and what does it mean yeah for you as an athlete to know that you've got that sort of safety backup yeah the, so the professional triathlete organization is uh, an organization you know to benefit professional travel well, triathlon in general by using professional triathletes so they really believe in the added value of professional triathletes in triathlon to the contrary of ironman who you know are more centered on the age group experience and revenue and they don't really, you know, care that much about the, the pros. Uh, for example, you know, the prize money has been going down every year uh, in Ironman racing in the last 10 years. Um, and if you count with inflation, you know, it's even more of a downhill. And so, um, so yeah, so the P- professional triathlete organization got some major investments um, to try and really build that uh, professional triathlon presence in order to help the for triathlon in general and uh so they've put on a series of uh bonuses so they have a ranking of the top 100 athletes and they give bonuses to they give money to 200 athletes top 100 men and women uh just to kind of to counteract with the, the the losses the athletes can have this year and they're also putting on uh big races such as the Collins Cup, which was a new format of racing 
with two and a half million dollars of prize money. But that got canceled, unfortunately, because it was scheduled in May. And they now put a race beginning of December in Daytona, which is called, um, you know, the, the PTO World Championship. I wouldn't call it a world championship. It's just a championship race uh, with a million dollars of prize purse. So, yeah, they're just kind of trying to really help uh, professionals in these times, but in the goal to help triathlon in general. And really, with um, your coach, Luke Van Leerd, what have you learned the most from him, would you say? I'd say probably to slow down in training. Okay, so did you always go hard previously? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty typical for athletes to kind of always want to push the pace, you know, it's more fun and... It's just yeah, it's just more fun, really. And uh, but we were he works scientifically. We know we work with the lactate measuring, and uh, and then he calculates. He has a sports doctor who then calculates all these uh, these uh, values uh, from testing. And so uh, yeah, so I think the biggest thing is to slow down to kind of teach your body to work on a de- different energy profile, which will then you know make you go fast in racing while kind of still being at that low energy use, you know? And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, and that's worked really well for me in racing. You know? I feel like I'm not in shape, but then I managed to be in the, the right energy level for the race and I can really push it and, you know, feel like I don't fade at any time during the race. So it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm in kind of a worse shape in training but then right before the race, you know, we do the right amount of work and I can always get in a really good shape uh, for the race. It's it's really, it's so interesting, isn't it? And and has he also taught you patience as well? Because, you know, given the seasons that you've just had and things like that, there could be just everyone probably saying, Ironman, Ironman, Ironman. But actually, you've not yet done an Ironman. Right, I've I've always been kind of well thought out for the plan of my career. I've never been, you know, I want to do this right away or I want to, you know, train. Well, I, sometimes I do want to train more and he's, you know, we still have to kind of follow the trajectory, you know. But overall, you know, yeah, I've been always, you know, thinking about it and planning it. And I never wanted to, to go to Ironman too early. Actually, I don't even feel the real need to go even next year. But I think it it will be quite exciting, though. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, and I was talking, you know, since my early 20s with, like, my dad and I, and we know Mark Allen and know people in the sport. And it's always been kind of identified that I really don't need to do Ironman until my probably late 20s. And, uh, you know, from 30 to 40, there's 10 full years there where you can do a lot of Ironmans. There's no need to do them that much before you're 30. So, yeah, I mean, next year will be 27, almost 28. Could be a good year. It could be a year later. Um, it really depends. Well, and also, yeah, we've talked about it with my coach, and we said that once I reach my real potential in half Ironman, I can do a full Ironman the next year. Um, so I think I haven't still reached my potential in half Ironman, so maybe one more year, and then we'll see where I'm at. And, uh, Is your ultimate goal win Kona? Yes. Yeah, that's the goal of my, my whole career. So 
I will not rest until I win Gohan. <laughs> I was going to say, too, you know, when you start Ironman, it's, you're still doing halves, too, right? I mean, it's not like you're doing many Ironmans every year. I'd probably do, you know, a couple. Or the first year, I would do only one. And if I qualify for Kona, well, then I'd go. If I don't, that would be it for the year. So, you know, just kind of start easy and and uh, keep on doing halves. And what did you make of um, Ali Brownlee's debut in, in Kona and, and at the Ironman distance? Yeah, um, well, so he was saying he was really preparing for that race as well as he could. Um, he was definitely up there. Um, but I don't yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, he we obviously know he faded and uh, I can't remember where he finished. He was way back. I mean, in Kona, you know, once you're you're done or you're you're bonking, you know, it's over. You know, you're not going to finish up there. And the the quality of the athletes is so dense, down to even twentieth, thirtieth, fortieth, that it's not going to happen. So yeah, I mean, obviously, it's probably disappointing for him. Um, we'll see. I mean, he's going to learn at the at that race. It's such a specific race. You know, it, it goes to prove if you're Olympic champion you're not necessarily going to do well in Kona. Uh, it's a race of experience and uh, of strength. And uh, he's just going to have to, you know, learn and see see how it goes the next few years. And, uh, yeah, just uh, go specifically, you know, for that race. Maybe try to not do 70.3 Worlds and go only for Kona like uh, Jan did. That might be an option. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to see. Are you pretty chilled out, really, about your diet and what you eat? Uh, yeah, yeah. Overall, yes. Um, I I kind of have the same weight throughout the year, and I believe in eating, you know, kind of eighty percent healthy, twenty percent not perfect. So I don't like, you know, to do super high efforts in what I eat right before a race because I feel like it's it would just change your diet and then risk of you having just low energy so I, I always believe in you know keeping on eating a lot uh keeping it overall you know quite healthy you get the nutrients you need but then also always have a bit of bad so mentally you know it stays constant your weight stays more or less constant and uh, you don't get burnt out mentally you know it's not like you have these huge cravings of unhealthy food because i always have it a little you know so I really believe in that. And for me, you know, some point, sometimes in off season, I put on weight, you know, moderately easily. And then in March or April, I'm, I'm thinking I'm a little too fat. So I want to lose a few kilos. And, but that's always really hard for me just with the training when I'm hungry, like it's really hard for me to cut out some foods. So I have to stay at that 80, 20 rule kind of just, eat overall healthy and have have a bit of unhealthy stuff all the time so um and what's your uh, your go-to 20 percent stuff what what's in the 20 percent category yeah well and i'm also i'm saying 80 20 because that's just kind of something that people know but obviously it's maybe not 20 it's maybe 15 or more or less i don't know <laughs> but um i mean i love chocolate i eat a lot of chocolate or if we have cookies at home or uh, ice cream, you know, um, I'd, maybe you can put pizza in there too. Uh, you know, I'll just solve things like that. Final question would be if you had, uh, yeah, one piece of advice 
for anyone listening to uh, improve a triathlon, what would it be? Yeah, for me, I think what's really important is to develop your passion just for pushing yourself as a as a person. And so don't, you know, do boring, like just do what you kind of, what your passion leads you to do, you know, go on these group rides that you want to go to. Don't start with a too structured of a training that, you know, some people like the routine of a structured training, but, you know, if you have options to join people or do workouts that excite you, you know, go do that. That will kind of really develop your relationship with the sport and with the lifestyle. So yeah, that, that would be my biggest advice. You know, listen to yourself, at least in the first years, if you want to go next level with a professional coach and go scientific and then have a more structured training, do that later, but definitely develop your, your passion for the outdoors, for endurance sports and pushing yourself in the, the first few years. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Tri Show. You can also now find Inside Tri Show on Facebook. So just go and search for me there. It'll come up. And if you could go and like the page, that would be marvellous. Thank you very much. Thank you too for all of the feedback from the Healthy Body mini series. If you've been listening to the show over the past couple of weeks, you'll know that I teamed up with the Wits Up podcast to take a look at disordered eating and body image in sport. If you've not heard the two episodes yet, then seriously, it's very much worth doing some binge listening. So part one on the Inside Try Show had professionals Cody Beals and Renee Kiley, as well as top age grouper, Felicity Joyce. And then for part two, you have to head over to the Wits Up podcast with Steph Hansen. And that has got a fantastic interview with Jody Kanama and leading sports dietitian Rini McGregor, who speaks, oh, she speaks so amazingly about it all. And she also gives a better understanding into kind of maybe what's happening in our brains sometimes, and also some techniques to learn to love your body a little bit more and that can be no bad thing can it so i am off to go and probably oh i, I fancy going to see the banff mountain film festival have been sending out some emails about films that are going to be available for a few days so i think that may well be on the cards and a homemade curry see you don't get that news on a monday do you <laughs> so i'm off to go and do that and maybe even eat some cake actually i made i made a bit of a rhubarb and ginger cake earlier so that should be good and i need to post a fueled by more cake book out to listener thomas Weber as well don't forget you can get 20 percent off all orders over at comfuel.co.uk it's like a pick and mix of sports nutrition delivered through your letterbox just use the code inside try at check out but until next week look after yourself please and look after those around you thanks for listening and we'll speak then Podcast Network. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.